Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host, the most, as always, Adela Marcy. And today, you guys are in for a treat spectacular like you wouldn't believe because I managed to wrangle the creative accountant herself. When I say that, I mean the fact that she is an accountant, but basically she's someone that works with numbers and helps idiots like me who are creative get our shit straight. So the one and only Meredith Bisker is on the line with us today. Now, for those that don't know who she is, you will get to know her over the course of the show. But as always, this show is sponsored by, uh, this show is sponsored by AdelMarcy.com. Go check it out for more riveting content and ridiculousness as I start to write more about it. And also Pacific Rock Accounting. Get your accounts in order, you creative assholes. It's what we need to do to make more money. So with that being said, let's get the one and only lady on. Meredith, welcome to the show. Thank you. That was quite an introduction. Totally different than I would have described myself, but it was fabulous. We like to do things here. It's how we do things. But I'm going to go and say, you're in Canada and people are like, but she's in Canada. Her business doesn't apply to my thing. Yeah, shut the fuck up. It's finance. We all need it. It's basically universal principles that you need to apply. And that's what we're going to be discussing, among yeah. other fun things as well. So with that being said, right off the bat, why are you so good at numbers? <laughs> like That is my first question to you. Oh, gosh, it's such a good question. I don't know because I... Uh as you know, I, I have creative endeavors as well. I, yes. I would call myself a generalist, but numbers is what I have gravitated to. And I don't think it's the numbers so much. It's the money. I'm super intrigued by money and finance. So when people say, oh, I'm not good at math, I think, well, you know, I kind of struggle through math too. But when it's practical, it actually is a little bit easier. And by the way, I let the computer and the calculators do the math for me. I just want to see what the story is at the end of it all. See, that makes way more sense. I, I just get frazzled with mm -hmm. with stuff like this. Like, here's, work this out. Like, can I not have something easier to do? Like, mm -hmm. I don't know, write some copy? <laughs> Which mm -hmm. is hilarious that I say that. Like, come up with a whole advertising campaign. Like, that's easier than doing my finances. No, thanks. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I love writing, but I could uh, copy. Writing copy is super challenging. And, you know, you bring up a really good point where, especially creative entrepreneurs, because that's who I tend to work with and who tend to gravitate toward me. Uh, so many of them have had struggles in the past with math. I think because many are neuroatypical, they may have run into, um, like my daughter, she has ADD and she also has a disability around math. And so her experience around math for years was really daunting and really scary. And I know many other creative entrepreneurs who have said the same story. So you, I want you to look at your numbers. No, thank you. I don't want to do that because it, it takes me back to school. It takes me back to like, I can't do it. See, I don't have it with maths because I was actually pretty good at that. Um, that kind of thing, I don't really mind. It's where I have to look at my finances that's where it really freaks me out because I look at it and go, I know what it is. It's a genuine fear up until like, you know, uh, a couple of months ago by the time the show comes out. So up until mid 2018, tw not 2018, 2020, two years fucking out. Up till mid 2018, I didn't ever look at my finances. 2019, I started looking at them. 2020, I took very deep look into them and actually started to realize what was going on. But mm -hmm. the problem was, and this is kind of a key thing, I'm not an idiot but I get scared at looking at my finances because I realize how stupid I've been with my money. And mm -hmm. that's what terrifies me. Cause I'm like, you're smart. Why did I spend so much money on this thing? 
that is a genuine thought I've had before. It's like, why did I buy this much of this thing that I wanted? Mm-hmm. And then I have to like, I go into this whole berating. It's like, if only I hadn't. Yeah. We'll go through that. Especially yeah. creatives. I realize we go through the whole, if, if I only hadn't have done this, then I would have more money today. Absolutely. I think a lot of people think that way for sure. I have. And the reason I went into money coaching was because my husband and I went through our own money crisis back in 2011, 2012. And even though I had worked in banking for years and I had worked in private practice, here we were having gone through all our savings and racking up tons of debt because my husband was laid off. We started, he started a new business, but then we had our second baby. It was just, the timing was really off. And we also didn't know how we actually, my husband and I were just talking about this yesterday. We didn't know how to market a business properly. So I, for months I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. It was like, I should know better. If anybody should know better, I should know better. And finally we came out of it and I was still so, so, so sick to my stomach about money, even though we were finally paying off debt, even though we were finally saving money and something clued in. I don't know if it was a message from the universe or what, but I figured out it's all emotional It's all emotional. We need money for survival. So there's, we can make logical decisions about money, but when we're under stress, no, our, our frontal cortex doesn't want to work at all. So we make these decisions that we, we regret or we feel ashamed of. And I work with a lot of clients who um, say to me, I've never told anybody this before because money is such a taboo subject and we don't want other people to judge us because we've made these what we think are stupid decisions and by the way if you've made that stupid decision the the decision that you think is stupid so many other people have as well (laughs) just so you know i can't talk about specific well i wouldn't talk about clients but you know uh when i worked in banking and accounting what happens out there with anyone who's listening and feeling bad about your money, trust me, it's happening with other people too. So if that brings any comfort, so you, you understand that you're actually not stupid, you're normal. Great. And now you can figure out where you want to go from here. Yeah. Cause I realized that the schooling system didn't ever really teach us anything about managing our money whatsoever. So it was a thing. Cause yeah. I always, uh, I remember the first time I crossed the six figure mark, like properly crossed the six figure mark on yeah. every currency that I have. I yeah. Like, oh, damn. Yes. I made it. Not, Woo. Just Canadian. <laughs> not just Canadian or American, but British as well. And That's not awesome. so, so we hit all of them, including Aussie dollars, which was nice. Yeah. Um, and I just hit that point and I remember looking into it and going, Holy crap. I made a hundred grand. Like I made over a hundred grand. I was like, this is amazing. And then, of course, because the internal thermostat goes, you might not be okay with this money. So I started yeah. finding ways of doing it. Like I screwed everything up. Like there was a server hack that shouldn't have happened. I was a little bit more lax. And you got to go through these lessons, by the way. You got to mm-hmm. go through these lessons because you find the other side. Now, my yeah. question to you right off that is like, what are some of the biggest places and areas that someone that's creative can look at on how they can get comfortable with their finances and what can they do? So essentially, two-part question, where can they start and what can they do? Yeah, it's, um, I've been asked that question before, and it's a tough one to answer because for every single person, it's different. And as a coach, I've got to dig in and ask questions because I could tell one person that maybe they need to develop a better spiritual practice. And if someone said that to me, I'd be like, no, I'm super pragmatic. So that's, 
I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing, right? For other people, it might be that they want to sit down and actually look at what their numbers are doing for them. Um, again, that could be really tough. So I, as a coach, it's my responsibility to find out what my client's goals are and what is really motivating them. I think you posted something a little while ago about motivate, like what's the motive behind that word, right? And what's the yeah. motive behind why? So again, yeah, Jocko. yeah, yeah, there you, exactly. So it's, um, I, I don't want to answer that one and say, this is like the be all end all, all answer. But if I could say anything, journal around it whether you're, you're writing or you're talking to somebody about it, or you're talking to yourself and recording the voice into my new discovery, Otter, <laughs> just talk and talk and talk in some form to really start digging into what it is that you want to connect to with money. Like what is bugging you so much about your money? Are you embarrassed? Are you feeling stressed? Are you really worried that you're not going to pay your bills? Are you in this place of I'm making so much money that I'm noticing I'm spending it all and I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do with it? Again, different for everyone. I agree. There is a huge difference on how people do that. So, okay, let's look at this a little bit differently then because, again, I've got to try and traverse this land without giving too much, like while getting enough of a generic fuel that also applies to everything else. So it's going to be a challenge. Thank you for that. It's always fun. All right. So, well, of course, I love a challenge. So, one of my favorite questions to actually ask uh, you specifically yeah. is figuring out exactly how to read a basic balance sheet because that's always something that's always tricked out a lot of people, including myself, was knowing how to read a balance sheet. So, you know how much money is coming in, you know how much money is going out, but how do you know where you can save? Yeah. So, are you. It, about there's the balance sheet and there's the income statement. So there's two main documents that I, I always provide to my clients every month. So with my work, I'm doing the accounting piece, but it's never standalone bookkeeping or accounting. There's always the coaching with it as well. So yeah. um, again, <laughs> I've got to figure out how my clients are going to connect to these two documents. However, you know, overall, let's say they have an open I mean, mindset and they're looking to learn. Yeah, exactly. And I'm thinking about how, you know, how many courses, accounting courses I've taken to understand how to write a balance sheet and income statement. And I think that's the best place to start is to know that you've got to give yourself time to understand it. Uh, with the income statement, you've got the money coming in and money going out and you get to see that bottom line. Someone I was talking to the other day, she's like, that's where that term bottom line came from. I'm like, yeah, totally. So you can, again, figure out how much money is coming in, how much money is going out. The balance sheet, I, I want to give a little hint here because often the balance sheet, especially if you're incorporated, and I think that this sort of spans the globe, there's numbers in there that actually don't represent cash and can really throw people off. Um, not to get too technical, but I'm talking about amortization or depreciation of equipment. Uh, what else? Oh, um, equity, um, uh, retained earnings, that sort of thing. This is something where my clients and other people who really want to understand these numbers, and it's really important to understand these numbers, need to find the right people to help them understand it. I have a friend who, um, she's not a client, but she said, I'm working with this accountant and I can't understand anything he's telling me. 
at all. We went down to the pub. She opened up her zero account. We went through things for about half an hour. She's like, now I get it. Yeah, exactly. So that lesson there is if you're working with an accountant who brushes you off or who can't explain what these numbers represent, then you need to find somebody else who can, whether that's just reaching out to a friend who is savvy with numbers, finding a new accountant, maybe working with a, a coach like me, something like that, where you can go line by line, because again, it's going to be different for each business as yeah. well. Um, some people awesome. won't. Yeah, exactly. Some people won't have amortization. Some people won't have these retainer. So it's, um, yeah, it's fairly specific. I think although to answer your question, it just takes time and asking questions specific to your, your business. That makes sense. Maybe watching videos, YouTube videos too. Like this is what a balance sheet is. This is what an income statement is. That's a good couple of places I do enjoy watching stuff like that. Now kind of like taking off the subject of like, accountancy and all the other fun stuff around it is that you actually play uh you sing don't you <laughs> i like to say i sing yeah for sure after my last practice i was like oh, i think i need to do some more rehearsing at home but i do i've been singing in rock cover bands for i think five or six years now and i have a lot of fun with that it's a great great outlet for creativity and i love music so it's yeah, I was actually literally just about to ask is how, how has this actually impacted your creativity? Because that's one of the big things that I wanted to discuss with you uh, specifically was how to replenish that creativity from a pragmatic standpoint. Because a lot of like mm -hmm. creatives, when you say to them, hey, you need to take time off, like, but I have a million and one things I need to do. Same mm -hmm. creative, a million and one things to do will say, you know what? My friends are in town. I'm going to go hang out with them and then I'll come back and do this. Same motherfucker that does that, by the way. So you need to like getting like knowing how to replenish your creative juices, a little bit important. So I'm going to ask Meredith on this because yes. singing is definitely one of them. But. Singing is one of them, but you know, it's funny because I love working with creatives and I, I, I don't think I get to the point of envying other people who, who can just sit down and create art, I guess is what I'm referring to when, when I'm thinking of creativity or who are people like you who can just riff off copy. Like that's, I totally admire that. Um, so you. I don't think of myself totally as creative because I'm in a cover band. So I'm covering other music. I love making cakes, but I'm covering other people, not covering, I'm copying other people's designs. Um, if I'm painting, I have to look up a YouTube video to figure it out. So I, I don't totally consider myself a creative, but as someone who's super pragmatic and loves the technical pieces of anything, um, I do force myself to take time off to work on some of those endeavors. Um, I also have kids, so that can be challenging as well, especially during COVID times when we're with each other all the time. Um, but to answer your question, if my drums are available, because we're in rental land right now, I'll play those, I'll pull out my keyboard, I'll throw on my music. Yeah, I know, I love your drum kit. Um, I'll always have music on when I'm cooking so I can sing along. And uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think I forced myself, after being really sick about five years ago, four years ago, I turned 40 and got shingles because oh, i was shit. so so stressed it's just a mild case it was enough to t to tell me hey you know what you've got to take it easy 
ever since then, I have uh, really put my foot down on protecting my own time and, and giving myself replenished time. And that means maybe, maybe not hustling in my business. Maybe it's being happy with, you know, the uh, getting new clients, but not pushing so hard. So I get so many that I'm so busy and then I'm in this hamster wheel. Right. So, and that's another thing about me too, is I really, um, I'm really intentional with everything I do. And I do take a little bit longer learning and, and discovering things because otherwise I just, that frenetic energy is, it's not healthy you say that to someone that has a massive frenetic energy anyways the way they do things well and but as it you, does it does it does run down you gotta replenish yeah that's right and as you know i have a, a younger daughter with the the same i think very similar frenetic energy as you because she has yeah. a functioning autism so she's just like go 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 energizer bunny and i have a teenager as well who is uh totally she's she's always got something on the go too so i have to i have to blue bubble myself every once in a while and just put Very myself so yeah that's right yeah, and <laughs> yeah the other thing that you guys can't see right now is i have a pop filter so you guys have seen my videos you see me have a pop filter i'm legitimately like just nose bumping it because it feels lovely and, and here's autism mom going yeah that's totally normal Whatever. Pretty much, yeah. It's, <laughs> so many people. Like, it's really weird. I tell people about like how I grew up and stuff, and they just look like the more I've looked at it, the more even my dad, my dad who was completely oblivious to this, gave the biggest key indicator out when I went home a couple of like about a month ago. Uh, actually, six weeks ago, it's been that long. While I was at home, um, yeah, my dad literally turned to like turned to me and it was just like, "Oh, hey, you do know that you and your mom both do the same thing." I was like, "What's that?" He goes, "You guys never have one foot off the floor." She goes, "He was like, you've done it since you were a baby. You always have like one foot on just the balls of your feet, and the other mm -hmm. one could be flat, but you're always just like waving and moving that foot around." I was yeah. like, "Oh, that's really interesting." So I don't I don't like putting flat feet. I'm not flat footed in the slightest. It just feels weird. But anyway, you remember when I asked you if you used to walk around on your tiptoes? Yeah. yeah, I did. I still do. That's the worst part. It's like if, the lighter I get, the more I walk on my toes. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's cool. I think, um, I mean, there's parents out there with children with autism who um, uh, are not in uh, the same place as me, where their children are nonverbal, where uh, it, it's so much more challenging. It's challenging for me because my kiddo is so smart, very verbal, and going through puberty. So it's but I, I yeah I, I honestly say that the universe matched us up because we were the right parents for her and she is here to teach us all sorts of lessons so particularly many. patience and please don't please don't kill me um, yeah yeah exactly and uh, not judging other parents huge 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 mm -hmm. huge because I am now the parent with the kid in the store who is swearing at me and I'm just walking away while other people look at me like, are you going to do anything? I'm like, no, I'm not. It's not worth it. Yes, because that's not going to go right. It's weird though, because I never had that, because I always had the threat of an ass whooping. So I was like, yeah, don't say anything. <laughs> it's like, walk away. Mutter it yeah. under your breath. Don't make a scene. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny what happens as you grow up in like two different generations. Just like, because me and your daughter are like one generation apart. Yeah. It's really interesting because like, from and I don't say your generation is negative because you're not that we don't have that much of an age difference between us. No, but from the gen from your generation of what you went through, 
Uh, yeah so you're gen x and i'm unfortunately i class in the millennial even though i don't believe i am i'd say gen gen y is what i'm I'm a jenny i'm a jenny you're a jenny there you go new name (laughs) there are there are a lot of women i know called jenny that was born like during that time period it's like a boom of them anyway i digress what i'm getting at is so if your name is jenny and you're a millennial that's fine you can spell it g-e-n-y from now on if you want to be weird um (laughs) no from us it was a case of like differences so like gen x you guys pretty much had like so robert green talks about this where he was saying that um gen gen x craved identity and rebellion and they wanted their own like space because they were latchkey kids that basically were without most of their parents at home but you did get an ass whooping you guys got ass whoopings just like we did we sure did why half of us got an ass whooping the other half didn't i did not get an ass whooping i got psychological warfare that was my my crutch um but you have different things for different people it's all it's all good and well yeah it's funny because gen z like the newest generation of people they were born in the 2000s uh yeah they are not going to know that because like i don't ever believe you should hit your kids i don't believe you should do that i believe you should discipline your kids Mm mm-hmm and uh, this is where the African in me really comes out and like why it feels the wrong way. I was like, no, you do things all the way. Like you just remind them. It's like the threat of the thing is more is better than the thing. Oh like, yeah. I'm gonna beat your ass. It's like okay, cool. That's so the way that I've mentally put it out is that like all throughout my future children's life, like their younger years, I'm just gonna regale them of stories of like times when I used to fight in Thai boxing, show them video, yeah. show them yeah. video, just really show them like. If I fuck him up, he's going to fuck me up. So that's kind of why I subconsciously want to like, but he's so nice. He's like a giant teddy bear that won't ever do anything. Just tells me off. I kind of want to do to my kids what I've done with my cats, where if they misbehave, I just stand up and they know. Like that is, that is the one thing with Chase. The moment I stand up and he's like, oh, no, no, no I'm running away. Yeah. No, no, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, the look, the look. My dad had that look where, you know, he was – uh, well, it's like my, my little one says the moms are born and the dads are fun. Right. So yeah. my, my mom was more the disciplinarian and boy, do I hear my mom and myself now as, as a mother, uh, my dad was super fun, but you knew when he came in that room and his eyes were bulging, you knew you better stop what you're doing now. Yeah. Room, it's, it's that thousand yards there. As we yeah. like to call it, yeah. it, it's, there was a image that a friend of mine sent me and there was two different captions for the same image, but it was an image of Samuel Jackson just staring at someone like in a white, like a uh, tank top or white beater from my American friends, which is such a weird fucking name for a piece a of clothing. Terrible term. Oh, terrible. For, for a piece of clothing as well. It's a white beater. It's a tank top or a it's vest. A let's, let's go with what it is, please. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so this vest he stood there, he's got this look in his face and like the first caption was, um, my friend's caption to me was, this reminds me of you because caption there was like, when you say something wrong to your Libra friend and they look at you this way, I was like, yeah, that is me. I do have that stare at times. Libras have that stare. My mother is a Libra, by the way. Yeah. I, it's one of those things where I've jokingly said to a friend before, I was like, no, I know that if I want to calm myself down and make it abundantly clear that I'm threatening you, it's very easy to do because I, <laughs> no. Okay, no. Listen to me. You're not going to do that. Immediately, just everyone calms down. They're like, damn, he's going to fuck someone up. It's like, yes, he is. Um, <laughs> not really. Verbally, I will. Verbally, I'll do it. But the other thing with the Libra, because it made me laugh, was like parenting, your, your entire life as a parent is hoping one day that you can master this look and scare your child. And it's just that same Samuel Jackson, like thousand yards there. 
Yeah. I say this like I'm going to be some badass father. I know what type of dad I'm going to be. I'm going to be the best friend. Like my whole plan You're is when I get to get, dad. I really am. I'm a giant yeah. kid. Like yeah. I know yeah. I am. Like I'm my my plan is wherever I'm living, I'm going to paint all the walls in whiteboard paint and give them like crayons and shit to go draw on so at the end of the day I can wipe it off. I don't get Perfect. mad at them. I'm like, look at all the artwork they've done for us. And they can't go that high. I'm not going to paint the entire wall. I'm going to paint half the wall because that way they can only draw up to like halfway. And as they get older, I'll add a new line. <laughs> it's, it's easier. That's a good idea because my 10-year-old the other day wrote, I hate my sister on our wall and denied it. Yet we know it was it was her. So had it been yeah, white, so it you easier to clean off. <laughs> well we, we're painting the whole house anyway it's okay <laughs> it's all good but i've uh, i got recently told i should get some like non-permanent markers because apparently i missed a trick with that so you guys can't see this but i have like uh four huge bifolding doors they're all glass and my friend was like for the love of god man you should totally rain man on this just sit there and just draw out a formula and like video it yeah i'm thinking like beautiful mind yeah pretty yeah. much yeah. How do I come up with my branding and advertising? Let's see. It's so yeah. unique. Yeah, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little that was a little inside joke in there for, for me and Mario <laughs> and the ones but, that are in the know. You know, we, we digress, but there's so uh, there's so many people out there who either know it or don't know it who are um, have autism, high functioning autism. And, yeah. and there's when we had our daughter diagnosed because, you know, we keep hearing how girls are kind of, are missed, right? Like they're diagnosed with ADHD or whatever. And it still yep. happens. And our psychologist said he's now um, diagnosing, this was like three years ago, women in their mid thirties. And this is like, I'm thinking of relatives who were diagnosed with ADHD, should have been diagnosed with autism. And um, it's, I, I really love building an awareness around this. Like if you know someone who's super awkward or weird or those kids in class who were the pains in the butt yet, you know, they, there didn't really seem to be any reason for it. It, it might be autism. Now I'm not going around diagnosing everyone with it, but it, it no, sure has the... helped me like talk to other people. It's helped me if I'm out in public and someone's kind of being a little bit strange, I'm just like, Oh, whatever just have the conversation and move on see this is the weird thing i have something very similar but mine's a little bit fucked up so we'll get to that in a second because it's funny it is gonna it is gonna make you guys laugh because it's how i and i knew we weren't going to talk about family dynamics but someone took it there (laughs) i was talking about my daughter (laughs) exactly family i'm going to talk about like so treating people in certain way so i didn't think i was i don't even know if i still am by the time the show comes out hopefully i've got a diagnosis because i'm going for it but it would make sense because a lot of the stuff i do is is that and it's not that i want it's not that i want to give myself an excuse to why i do what i do but it's actually quite nice to explain to someone oh i'm sorry i'm not being an asshole it's just more or less i don't understand your emotions like uh so earlier today i got called uh, someone that i was friends with uh, message me. I was like, "Hey, I've not heard from you for a couple of weeks. Is everything okay? Are you well?" And their response back to me was, uh, "So, listen, I can't be friends with you anymore because I feel like you're really self-centered in what you're doing." Oh, wow! Yeah, like, That's honest. They told me that. Like, they were very straight with me about it. So, my yeah. only response to them was like, "I didn't actually see myself as being self-centered. It was you were going through a really hard time, and I didn't want to get dragged down into the negative feeling." So what mm-hmm. I was doing was distracting you with humor about how ridiculous my life is. Right. So in my head, that makes sense. 
in a yes. normal person's head, you're supposed to be there for them. So that's what I mean. Like there's like that slight dichotomy of how my brain works. It's a little bit weird. You say in a normal person's head, but there's so many people who are neuroatypical and, and I was going to say, there's no such thing as normal. I, I, yeah. Like I, I, I just have a hard time with, um, now, I mean, a few, 10 years ago, I would have been maybe even five years ago, misjudging pants and Hey, that person's weird and they need to figure it out. This is the world we live in. So like I said, it's quite a gift that, and my older child has ADD and OCD. So it's, it's not a gift because it would not, if I had a choice, they wouldn't be struggling with these things, although they're both doing very well now. Um, but it's, it's taught me so much. And uh, even mental illness in my family, it's, it's a regular thing. So I don't know, it's my little one when she was little, and I, I regret missing this, she used to look at me when she was about three or four, and I'd just be cooking and just have like, a resting face. I'm pretty sure it's not a bitchy wet resting face, but just my resting face. And she'd say, why aren't you smiling? Why is your face like that? And she, it, I should have clued in, right? But I totally didn't. Well, it's you interesting. Because you think it's a kid. Yeah. And people just, uh, there are people out there who can't read emotions or will say awkward things. I told you the story the other day or a little while ago about meeting, um, who's the guy? Dan Aykroyd. Mm -hmm. And he was uh, signing some autographs at a liquor store when we used to live in Calgary. He was selling tequila. And I got him to sign the back, the picture of my um, daughter's, my, it was my daughter. And I said, can you sign this picture? It's all I have for paper. And he said, oh, he looked too young to be a mom. And I was like, oh, that's kind of strange. But he didn't, it didn't sound mean, but it kind of stuck with me that that was a really weird thing to say. And then I read just last year that he was diagnosed with Asperger's and Tourette's, which didn't really contribute to that. But I thought, okay, that was one of those awkward moments and that would explain it. Yeah. Like we're, we're, we're a very awkward bunch of people, but what I was going to say was the way that I've actually learned how to deal with certain family members or friends that you don't really want to deal with. You know, the ones that'll get argumentative with you over just like, what, what's your favorite color? It's blue. Right. No, it's not. And it's like, I know my favorite color. <laughs> like we know people like that. So the way that I've actually dealt with it, like over the last three years, and I've really started digging with this is I just treat people as if they have, uh, um, what's it called? Alzheimer's. I just treat them like they have Alzheimer's. I'm like, yes, it is purple. Purple is my favorite color. Great. And I'll just leave it to them. Like, I just let them do whatever it is. Yeah. I just smile and nod and go on. I'm like, cool. I'm never going to talk to you about this again and just walk away. Yeah. Mental notes. Don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. And then every so often it does back. Like, I've actually made it with like colors. I've made sure that they know what my favorite color is because soon after that purple incident, they bought me something that was purple. And I was like, I don't hate it, but purple's not my favorite color. <laughs> Like, why aren't you wearing this thing? I wish they were, I wish I could say that they had like Asperger's or they were neurotypical, but they're not. They're just a yeah. regular person that likes being a pain in the ass. Right. Yeah. I'm related to them. So I definitely know what type of person they are. Yeah. I love it when you get told what your favorite color is. You're like, no, it's not. <laughs> I don't like that color. Why? Because it just looks weird. That's funny. So how many, this question for you now, uh, how many creative entrepreneurs in your world do you know who are what we would say neuroatypical have something else? I don't know. I really don't know. I haven't actually like asked. A, 
I haven't asked around like other people, but if I look at their personalities and what I say, I'd say there's a good fair few of at least like 10% of my friends would be like around mm-hmm. that realm. Um, mm-hmm. The ones that it's really, really weird. Cause the ones that like, when I talk to them about like me being possibly neurotypical and not really knowing and stuff, well, this time when this comes out, hopefully I'll know. Uh, but at the time I didn't know. And, what was really strange was the ones that are neurotypical like reached out to me and were like, no, we totally get it. And like, they started to give me more and more of an idea. So Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. So this is going to sound like it has nothing to do with this, but it does. So a couple of years ago, I actually went to see a chiropractor and prior to going to see a chiropractor, I had never been diagnosed as hypermobile. I just have, I just believe I was very, very flexible and bendy. Oh, interesting. Yes. So I walk into the doctor's office, uh, into the chiropractor's office. And I was like, hey, can I just ask you a really quick question? He goes, what's that? I was like, I feel like I might be hypermobile. He's like, what makes you say that? I was like, because if I straighten my arm, it does this. And I showed him my arm for the people at home. I'm not going to show him how it is. But like uh, my arm hyperextends naturally. Like straight for me is a hyperextended elbow. My daughter so, does that too. Whoop. Yeah. So it's just like, it's that. that yeah, right exactly. Yeah. So I have hypermobility in most of my joints. I have it in my spine, my legs. I have it in my, uh, the spine one's a pain in the ass because I actually yeah. lose, I lose, a, I lose an inch of height until I recompress my spine. So I like bet. when I decompress my, my spine, I'm actually six foot and a half an inch tall. That's the weird part. I'm actually above six foot tall, but having a compressed spine can mean I'm five foot 11 and a half inch right. at some point. So I, that's why I go with six. It's normal. But the reason I'm bringing that up is because when I went to the doctor and told him, hey, look, I might have hypermobility, the speed of which he diagnosed me was incredible. Because he looked at me and went, try and touch your toes. So I bent right over. He was like, don't bend your knees. So I like bent over at the waist, touched the floor. And he went, yeah, you're hypermobile. I was like, what makes you say that? He goes, you're not even warmed up and you've got like flexibility through the door. I was like, fair enough. So I was like, fair, that's fine. The same thing is happening with my friends that are neuroatypical. Is the moment they find out, like if you start looking at signs, I can tell like three people I know that might be yeah, uh, and three dead people that I know, like unfortunately passed away, but they definitely were because yeah. of the way they saw things. Yeah. It's, and it's not a negative because like the weirdest part is that a lot of people try and treat something like this as a negative where in reality, when you know what it is, you actually deal oh. with it way better because it helps it's, you understand how you see the world. It's massive. When we had, um, when we finally got my daughter's diagnosis, I had, you know, posted something on Facebook. Okay, finally, we've got a diagnosis and our, our little one has um, autism spectrum disorder, ASD, and ADHD, which often comes as a nice little package together. And uh, I was starting to get messages and also comments on the post from very well-meaning people saying, I'm so sorry. I'm like, are you kidding me? This isn't going away. So to have some kind of, if you want to call it a label, to attribute to what's going on, I'm going to take it because now we get the support. Now I understand what's going on. Now I can stop giving myself such a hard time for being a crappy mom because I can't get a handle on this. It's the best thing in the world. So if you don't like labels, whatever, call it a diagnosis, call it something because these things help you understand what's happening. And I think if it allows all of us to be gentler with ourselves too or with our children or with our relatives or friends or whoever yeah i mean one of the best ways i have that i I could say this is like it's like wearing kaleidoscope glasses and trying to walk in a straight line 
Right. That's what it feels like when you don't know. And the moment you do know, it's like you're taking, like for me, I've had so many diagnoses over my life, ADD, dyslexia, uh, bipolar depression. Um, Some people think that my bipolar depression was like accidentally misdiagnosed and it's actually borderline personality disorder. I'm like, I don't have the other BDD. Uh, I know that. Um, Not that there's anything wrong with it. I just don't have it. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's just a thing because like the symptoms don't add up. But the symptoms, causalities, and causations, once you know, you know how to structure your life. Like the time I got told that I have, uh, I was bipolar depressed and I had, you know, I was, uh, I was type one, which is the most suicidal in teen years, by the way. I, like, it, since the time I was 14, sorry, 13, to the time now, which uh, by the time this thing airs, I'll be 31, which right. is a weird thing, 13 going on 31. Yeah. yeah. Little, little palindrome there. In that, 18, in that 18 year period, I've had like 20, I've had like 10 suicide attempts, like 10 legit times I've tried to kill myself. Yeah. The good news is now I've actually got to the point when I wish it wasn't 10, but most of them happened when I was younger. Most of the time I actually see it coming. It's like a, uh, it's like driving down the road and you see the turn off going, you're going to kill yourself, turn around. And you know exactly when to shut the car down, let yourself rest and go back again. Yeah, so that's it takes good. Time. But if I didn't know, if I didn't know what I had and what the signs were, then I'd be like, I just feel terrible today. I'll keep going. Absolutely, that's right. And then that's you, right. you drive off the fucking freeway into a ditch covered in petrol, and you know, you yeah. die quite horribly and sucky. It's, yeah. it's an emotional death. But onto something happier, however, because <laughs> I do like happy talk. When it like and taking it back to like the original premise I had for the show, which is around talking about finances and business and all the other yeah. things that are creative. When it comes down to really understanding, um, so there's a book called Profit First that a lot of people seem to love. It is okay, this having... right here. Yes. Okay. So Profit First. Why do so many people love that book? Like I've never understood. I, I've read part of it, but like it, it's it's a book on finance, and my brain does not compute. So I've tried to go audiobook with it, but I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. I was just talking to someone this week, or listening to it at a podcast or something about someone who really likes profit first. Um, as an accountant, I read it and I thought, okay, yeah, this this makes sense, and and I, I like this, but I. I am going to make a huge assumption, but I think it has better optics because the recommendations are have these several different accounts, name them and start throwing money into each one. And by the way, you don't have to go all out in the beginning. For instance, if you want to start with 1% for your profit account, then do that. So it's kind of like a gentle a gentle transition into a new way of handling your finances. So I think that that's brilliant because as you know, and as many people know, when we're trying to make changes, it's actually, it takes a lot of energy. Our brain doesn't like it. We're creating new neural pathways. That's really hard. So if I'm saying to you, um, okay, so you need to just start taking a bunch of money uh, and, transfer it every month. And in that lump, you're going to have to transfer over taxes, other benefits that the government wants you to pay. Oh, by the way, some savings for yourself in profit and a few other things, right? Figure out how much that one lump sum is and throw it into this one account. And then you've got this one big clump. And then what do you do? An Excel sheet to show you what the that money is there for, or figure out how to use QuickBooks so you can figure out what those amounts are. It's a lot of work. Where I think um, 
what Mike's done in this book is very brilliant. It, it just simplifies it for people who find this complicated. You know, I think that that is why it works for so many people. Not everybody uses it. Not everyone likes it. And I certainly don't push um, my clients to use it if they're finding that it's just not good for them. Um, I use bits and pieces of it myself. I have a profit account. I like my profit account. It's fun to transfer it over. And it's really good mm -hmm. to transfer money over for your taxes because nothing sucks more than owing the government money. Yeah, the government sucks for money. <laughs> they do. They don't like giving yeah. money. Yeah, I was doing a cash flow projection for myself over the next year. And uh, if all goes according to plan, I'm watching my, my tax amount go up, up, up. And I'm like, I'm just going to ignore that. I'll just put into my savings and not even think about it. See, this is quite interesting about like mindset. And I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago on the show. And it was the idea of like the government feels like it's rigged against you. Because think about it this way, unconsciously, do you really want to make more money knowing you're going to get taxed more? It's never been something that's bothered me. For you, and yes, but I mean, for the average person. For the average person, it pisses them off. They, they don't, over here um, in Canada, we have a program called the Canada Pension Plan. So 5% of your pay, if you're an employee, goes toward the CPP, or 10% if you are self-employed. And it enrages people that they can't take this 5% and control it themselves. I, I get it, but I've also had deep conversations with a friend of mine who who appreciates the CPP like I do, where most people aren't even going to save that 5%. And if they do, they're not going to manage it like the government will or the trustee who takes care of it. So anyway, I, I think I have a completely different approach to it. I know most people, it pisses them off. But the way I, I reframe it for myself too is like when I pay property taxes, I hate paying property taxes. It's a couple of thousand dollars every year. I don't like it. But then I have to remember when I went to Cuba, there was no infrastructure. There were holes in the road where they were doing a bunch of like digging there. They don't have safe water. They blah, 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 blah. So I'm in this real privilege place where I'm in Canada. I'm on the West coast. I can pay for these, these property taxes. So I just, I, I have to do it it's a truth in life. I find ways to maybe reduce my income tax burden as some people say, but I, I just have to kind of accept it. If being mad at it is not going to help anybody finding ways Free. to, to legally get around paying taxes. That could be fun. Smart. That is smart. That's why you have an accountant that knows that stuff. That's right. Exactly. That's right. Yes. If you pay more taxes, and you're managing your money right, isn't it kind of exciting that you get to pay more taxes? Yeah, one of my friends really, like, I don't know how he got his mindset to this, but he really gets it to the point where he equates paying taxes as if he's made a sale. Like for him, he's just like, oh. yeah, internally, he's like, I made a sale, so I get to pay taxes. Like Absolutely. That's the way he, yeah, he's put it into a pleasure yeah. driver because like his, I can say this much. His uh, one of his income tax reports, like his in the UK that he had to pay, I was sat with him, so I know how much he made. Mm -hmm. He made more. He made enough to basically buy a property in London outright mm -hmm. with cash, and that was his tax bill. Mm -hmm. To give you an idea, it was like a quarter. It was like uh, upwards of half a million pounds. Yeah, just for him to like pay this. And he sent yeah. it in. I asked him why he was so smiling. It was like, oh, 
He was like, this has been a lot of money for me to send in. Yes. But he goes, my accountants basically helped me like reduce as much as possible. And this is what's left over, which is fine. He's like, it's not a bad thing. My thing is that like, there's different tax levels and I, I could sound very stupid and idiotic right now when I say this, but I truly believe that you should have a flat tax across the board. Work mm-hmm. out what it is. All classes pay the same level of tax. Mm-hmm. Like even if it's like five or 10%, or if you go to the Arab states, it's 2.5%. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's taxed universally, no matter what level you're at with zero tax breaks. Now mm-hmm. the curiosity is if you're a billion dollar corporation, and you have to pay a 2.5% sales tax, are you really going to try and get out of it? Or will you just pay the shitty 2.5%? Yeah, right. More likely right. you will. The only reason these co- corporations don't is because if you look at what their tax bracket is, usually it's quite astronomically high. Yeah. And of course, it depends on which country um, you're working in. You're talking about. Yeah. I think the states, they actually have a fairly, I think there is a flat income rate for personal tax. In Canada, not so much. Uh, but in also, not in so much. Canada, yeah. In Canada, though, also, um, we are not a socialist country. So, you know, when people say that socialism for you just like stop because we're not, uh, no. we're as capitalist as many other countries, except we tend as Justin Trudeau, our prime minister was saying at the beginning of COVID, we like to take care of each other through, you know, anything that's kind of tough. Let's leave the whole indigenous issue out of this conversation right now, because it's yeah. not always true. And it, it's, sur- but that's one of, I think our, our overarching values here is that we, we do tend to take, we try to take care of each other a little bit more. And when I pay taxes, I think this is me walking into a hospital for free. Hi, uh, give me, give me a second. Hold on. Sorry about that guys. We just had a bit of an interruption right there. So, uh, we'll, I'm not going to edit shit out, but it's going to be fine. But he's our guest. It's coming on a couple of weeks. Uh, like next week, Travis believes who has worked with Prince EA and a bunch of other people, really smart social media guy, which we'll speak to in a moment. So, uh, yes, please. Yeah. I, all I was going to say is paying taxes in Canada. I have no problem with it because I, I do believe that we, um, we have a lot of good social services here in this country and, and uh, I can go and get things and do things and not have to worry about it costing me thousands and thousands of dollars, like walking into a hospital or getting help for my kids, et cetera, et cetera. So I, that, again, that's how I turn it around. I guess I could sit and think about paying thousands of dollars in tax, but, and how irksome that is, but there's no point. There really isn't. Yeah. At least I'm there really is not. Yeah, for sure. I was going to say, so one of my favorite questions to ask on this show, and we already started for profit first, but it would be the case of like, what books would you recommend to someone that's creative? Mm-hmm. They can listen to us an audible book, or if they like reading, they can read it. That really helps them understand their finances a lot better. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a reader. I know a lot of people like audiobooks. So um, I, I'm sure that all of these books I'm recommending could be found in audio format as well. Uh, the number one book that I recommend to people and, and invariably they really love it and connect with it is called Financial Recovery. And the author is Karen McCall. And that's literally the book that uh, sent me down the road to money coaching because I was reading it and I heard this voice and I've never heard voices before, but there was this voice like, you need to do this kind of work. This is, this is what you're meant to do. So Karen McCall, Financial Recovery is excellent. She has a little system in there for how to sort your finances out, but I think it's really her stories that will help people um, 
uh, not feel so ashamed and guilty about their their uh, financial journeys. Um, another one that creatives might also really like is this one. It's worry-free money. Canadian mm -hmm. author, Shannon Lee Simmons. I say Canadian, but like you said at the beginning of the show, um, all of this is universal, right? And she has some real simple uh, systems for managing your personal finances. And it's a fun book. I highly, highly recommend it. So those are, are my two tops. And then there's an author, Deborah Price, and um, I've been certified twice as a coach. The first time was as a money coach. So Deborah Price was my mentor. And um, this this book I have in my hand is The Heart of Money. It's uh, sort of a, a continuation from her first book. What I love about Deborah's books is that she talks about money types. And one of those money types, there's eight, um, one of those money types is the creator artist. See, it went right to that page because I refer to it a lot. The creator artist who, um, you know, understands that he or she or they need money, um, but really have a hard time charging for their creative endeavors, have a hard time um, ha hanging on to money, um, sort of, you know, just reconciling that whole material world with their creative side is really difficult. So I think that this book is brilliant. The heart of money. Um, it's around relationships, but it could be very helpful uh, in other ways too. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoy that. So yeah. yeah. Any other recommendations? Was that the only one? I have a few books in front of me. Um, those are my top three money books, my go-tos. I, I go back to them a lot. Um, for women, Barbara Stanny is a great author. And one of the books I have in my hand here is Secrets of Six Figure Women. And what was, I read this when I started my own entrepreneurial journey about six years ago as a money coach. And I love the stories in here because the overarching theme was, uh, you know, I'm a woman, I might be a mom, um, lots of creatives in this book saying, I don't really want to ask for money. I feel bad asking for money. Um, but I really need money and I really want money. So just get out and, and do what you need to do. Ask for what you need to ask, et cetera, et cetera. Super simplified, but, um, any of Barbara Stanley's books are great. She's the daughter of one of the brothers in H and R block. And she has a really interesting story herself where her, she had a trust fund. Her husband spent all the money in the trust fund gambling in the stock exchange. So she ended up being super broke and her dad wouldn't help her. So she had to rebuild herself. So tough, tough love, but uh, uh, I, I, yeah, she's super inspiring. That's awesome. That's yeah. really good. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we're actually coming up to the top of the show, which is lovely. And I just want to tell everyone, please go check out PacificRockAccounting.com. Follow Meredith everywhere on Facebook, online, and everywhere you can, because she is awesome, hilarious, and will actually kick your butt when you need it. But she will always support you. Where she gently, can. gently. If you guys have enjoyed this show, I would really appreciate you guys liking, sharing, commenting, and subscribing to the channel. And as always, please tune in next week. As I said, we'll have Travis Believes on the show. If I get this right, it should be this way, uh, where we'll be able to get him to share his social media secrets with you. So 
that is uh, always fun. So see you guys next week. Doodles. <laughs>